This is a, uh, you can't see it too well, but this is a Google map of my hometown that I grew up in. It's called Bay Village, Bay Village, Ohio. And it is a wonderful town. To the very north is Lake Erie. I live right on the shore of Lake Erie. There's a park to the left with all kind of baseball fields, a pool, and everything to me about this hometown, I have tremendous memories. The park, the pool, the ice cream store, they have a huge sledding hill, beach, lighthouse. It's a great town. But there is one thing I will not miss. I will not miss it at all. It's a house on the corner of my block where an old hermit lived. So I lived right on Lake Erie, and if you see that red circle, it's 27105 Lake Road. I'd, t I'd take a left down Lake Road, and then I'd go south on Cahoon Road, and at the very bottom of my block, there was this house where an old man, I never saw him, but I heard a lot about him, lived. His grass was always cut perfectly. The drapes on his windows were always closed, and they had this small little crack, and I could just imagine him peeking out all day long out of that little crack. His door was dark brown, and I guarantee it was triple bolt locked, shut all the time. And my neighborhood buddies told me not to walk by his house too slowly, and definitely don't step on his grass, because he will cuss you out. So I was terrified of this man. I never saw him, but I knew he was always watching, always watching. I even told myself, I imagined what he'd look like. I told myself he probably had bloodshot eyes, bloodshot eyes that were dark black. He probably had three pointy teeth, and for breakfast he drank orphan's blood. I'm sure of it. I know it. Have you ever noticed that the images that you can make up in your mind are always worse than the real thing? Don't forget that. That's an important point to this message. So as a boy, as I got closer to his corner going to school, I'd hold my breath and then sprint as fast as I, I could and I'd bolt across the street. And I had to run fast because... If I would have dared step on his grass, I am sure he would have hit me over the head with the jawbone of an ass. That's from the King James, by the way, Samson, King James Version. Or he'd throw a rock at me, he'd stone me or something. So instead of strolling casually by, I would run for three blocks until I couldn't breathe anymore, halfway to school. Oh, I told myself, Chris, avoid the hermit on the corner at all costs. Stay off his grass. Don't be a nuisance. Keep to yourself because you are not welcome. You are not wanted. So run away and leave no trace. I wonder, is God like the hermit in the corner to some of you? I think many people see him that way. Satan wants you to see him as a mean old man living in the corner of heaven ready to cuss you out when you do one thing wrong. Whoa, you did that sin again, you rotten. Rah, 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 rah. He wants you to feel like you're a nuisance. And I think Satan is daily trying to convince you, you are unwanted. So it is no wonder to me why most people don't pray. I am not surprised sometimes, and I get this a lot as a pastor. Did I pray the right way? Because it doesn't even feel like God is listening to me. 
Or am I allowed to ask God for that? I didn't know I could ask God for that. I think, I think this is also why many people, if they could be honest, hate to pray. And I'm using that word, yes, hate to pray. Some people don't want to anger the hermit. They would rather run away quickly and leave him be and just, just stay out of my life. Question, how often do you really pray? I mean, really, this is a guilt question, but how often do you pray? Do you hate to pray? If the answer is yes, it is probably because you somewhat see God as a mean old hermit living in the corner. So today in our next sermon, go to Matthew chapter 7. It's very interesting. We're going to look at 7, 7 to 11, and today's date is 7-11. Ha-ha! Somebody told me that after the first service. I call that kismet. That's really, I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. So turn to Matthew 7. And so today, in our next reading, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is going to say something so tremendous, so tremendous, it should completely put to rest the image of that mean old hermit, should bury it in the grave of forgotten delusions that never were true in the first place. I personally hope after you hear this, you take these words and let them sink in so you get a picture of God that is so different. In fact, I want you to picture God with his arms open saying this to you, welcome home, because that's really what prayer is. When I would come home, when I would come home from baseball practice sometimes or late school I'd run past the hermit's corner. Sometimes with my friends, I'd run past the same way I left. I'd run past. But then as I got closer to my house, I could hear my family outside often. They were outside a lot. My mom was usually planting stuff in the garden. My sisters were laughing, or usually my one sister, Steph, was singing, usually Billy Joel, Only the Good Die Young, you know that good song. That's good music. That's when music was music. She'd sing that. Or when my brother was shooting baskets and music was blaring out. And then I would cross behind the house and jump over the fence. When you jump over the fence in the backyard, in our garage, there was a sun patio on the top. And often my dad would be in the sun patio and he'd have a barbecue going. The smoke would be rising up and he'd be cooking hot dogs or hamburgers. And he'd see me and he'd see my next door neighbor friend, Mike Kristoff, and he'd say, Hey, are you guys hungry? Come on up and eat. Come on up and eat. That's prayer. And I believe Jesus wants you to know by what we're going to read today that you are dearly loved. You're a dearly loved son or you're a dearly loved daughter. And all prayer is coming home to talk with your father who loves you more than you can imagine. Let's begin in verse 7 of Matthew 7. And Jesus says, ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and the one who seeks, finds. And one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give you good things to those who ask of him? So that's our passage. This is a great passage. So remember, if we go back to the story of the hermit, remember how I described his door? It was dark brown, triple bolted, and uninviting in a terrifying place. He uh, did not want to talk because he just wanted to be left alone, and you'd be a fool to go knock on it. Sometimes I would imagine what it would be like for the door-to-door encyclopedia salesman going up there, knocking on the door, and he hears behind the door, (laughs) shotgun ready to go. But my dear friends, that's not our God. That's not our God. Listen to verse 7. Ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. It will be opened. So the first thing we could say is God the Father's door is always open. And never forget that. It's it's always open. There's no bolts. There's no locks. There's none of that silver thing where you click it and he peeks through. You just touch it with your finger and it opens right up. Every day. All day. It's always open. You are invited in. God's arms are stretched out welcoming, wanting you to come and enter Because he has so much to give us. He doesn't have rocks and snakes. He's got bread and fish. Those were the staples of that day when he was saying this. If he said it today, I think he would tell us he also has Tom's Donuts. That's where my daughter works. Tom's Donuts waiting with Dutch cream filling ordered there for you. I wish my daughter didn't work there. I gained five pounds since she's been there. Those are good donuts. The question is, if his door is always open, and this is the kind of God that is, tell me, tell me, why is it so hard to pray? I don't know about you, but I have a hard time. Why is it so hard to pray if that is our God? I think the answer is pretty straightforward. I think if you look at human nature, there seems to be two things that happen to us when it comes to prayer. The first reason is because human beings unconsciously live by the principle out of sight, out of mind. When we don't see something right away, we don't believe it's happening. We're concrete believers. We're Missourians. Show me first before I take some kind of terrifying leap in the dark. I want to see proof. Give me proof. Jesus addressed this with the gospel, in the gospel of John with the disciple Thomas. Go to John 20. And he addresses this human frailty of wanting to see. John chapter 20, verse 24 to 29. It's a very interesting little story. Jesus died, he rose again, and he visited his disciples in the upper room. One person wasn't there in the first visit. His name was Thomas. And so it takes up in John 20, 24. Now Thomas... One of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, 
and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Sometimes I'm really grateful for Thomas because he asks those things I want to know. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. So people think Jesus will be able to go through walls. Some people think we'll get that same ability in heaven. Anyhow, keep reading. Okay. So Jesus came and stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your, out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus is addressing something about us. We want to see, but the difficulty is that God is invisible. He is invisible. Therefore, it's hard for us to believe that he's there and that he cares. So, when we do not see immediate answers, we begin to imagine things about God that are not true, just like I did with the old hermit. Our mind casts negative thoughts. This is our second problem. According to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Satan is blinding our minds so that we won't see the glory of God in the face of Christ. What that means is Satan is lying to us, trying to convince us that God is the hermit in the corner. He does not want you, and he does not care about you, and every time you sin, he's cursing you out. So to communicate to us, so we'd know what God really is like, he sent Jesus, God in human flesh, so we can see what he's really like. We can see what he's like to sinners, to widows, to children, to his friends. So the intent of Jesus here in Matthew 7, if we go back, is to encourage us to keep at prayer, even if we don't see him. Ask, seek, Knock, ask, seek, and not ask, seek, knock. Some scholars debate if these words are three different forms of prayer. Is asking different than seeking, and is seeking different than knocking? But in reality, there are a series of action words that are increasing in intensity. I first ask, and if I don't get anything, then I seek, I go after. And then if I don't get it, I keep knocking, knock, knock, knock. So Jesus is saying there's something we need to do in prayer. When it comes to prayer, we need to be persistent. That means keep going to God. Never give up. Bug him. Bug him. Don't quit. Give him a hard time. And then the second one is have passion in that persistence. Seeking and knocking means you want something. You want something. You're not just passive. You're not just, you say something and let it go. You don't stop. You don't stop. So when it comes to persistence in prayer, Jesus gives us a parable. If you go to Luke 11, it's really surrounded the same three words, ask, seek, and knock. But in Luke 11, he gives us a little parable about it. 11 verses 5 and 10. It's a strange little story. This parable begins in verse 5, and Jesus is talking to his disciples. Which of you, 
who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. In verse 8, it has this word impudence. This word impudence means audaciously irritating. That's really what it means. Because he's audacious and he's irritating and he keeps bugging them. All right, here's your three loaves and just get out of here. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying when you pray, don't be, just be bold, be, um, be an ag to God, keep going after him. Be audacious, God wants you to knock and keep knocking. And who cares what anybody else thinks about your prayers? Who cares? It's between you and God. I'll give you an illustration. There's a time in my life when I was in grade school I kept asking my dad for an advance on my allowance. I'd get allowance every Friday. And I asked him for a couple months advance so I could buy a pair of football shoulder pads I saw in the Sears catalog. I wanted them real bad. I said, Dad, can I have an advance? He goes, Chris, just save up. Just save up. And he told me to save up and wait, but I kept asking him and asking him. Part of the reason I think my dad made me wait was that my sister Stephanie at that same time she's about my same age, was renting instruments from school, and she never liked any of them. She started with a flute, didn't last two weeks maybe, then she went to a saxophone, and she couldn't play that, and she ended up with a tuba. She ended up with a tuba. Without fail, she'd bring home that instrument, and she had to rent it out every time, and without fail, she would give up on the instrument after a couple weeks. And my dad was kind of getting irritated. Oh, no, not in another instrument. Over time, my sister became a great track hurdler. She never picked up music too well. So, But I, I really, really wanted those shoulder pads, so I didn't stop asking. After a good month, my dad, leave, dad finally called me, and he said, Here, Chris, you're bugging me. Take the money. Get your shoulder pads. I went online, or on, they didn't have online back then. I'd <laughs> call, I don't know how we did it back then. How did we do that? That's really weird to think about. I got it. I went to the Sears catalog, ordered it, got it, and I put them on and they fit perfect. I buckle them on the sides. It said Wilson. I put my Cleveland Browns jersey on or my, I had Philadelphia Eagles 17 Carmichael jersey and we'd play tackle. And then I would take off my jersey and when I'd go to bed, I'd still have my shoulder pads on. My mom would say, take those smelly things off. No, mom, I finally... I finally have them. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I think that's why God waits. I really do for two reasons. He wants to see what you want. What do you want? Will you keep praying? And he wants to get you emotionally involved in that thing you want. He wants you to care. I think one of our problems is... We don't care. Why don't we care for people to get saved? 
Why don't we care enough about, like I was thinking even in the first service, Pastor Ken prayed for it not to rain so that this soccer week could go great as if it's an offhand remark. No, that's a great prayer. God, don't let it rain. Don't let it rain. I've been praying for the speakers, Leslie and Heather and Will, that they would really preach in a, such a way that the kids would want the gospel, where they would become eternal beings. Why don't we want that? Uh, just another BBS week. Mm. So I think God waits sometimes because he wants to see what you want. He wants you to get invested in that want. That's where passion comes in. Passion comes in where it's called zeal, where true faith turns into something that changes me. The definition of faith is to take God at his word, to believe what he says is true. So let me show you how this will work out in this passage. Go to Matthew 7. It's to take his word and really believe it and let it soak in. So if you read it, you read it like this. This is how faith reads it. Ask, and it will. It will, it will, it will. It will, it will be given to you. Really? Seek, and you will find, you will find, you will, yes. And then knock, and it will be open. All three of these are certainties. Faith believes that if I pray, these are certainties. And then faith starts getting me excited, kind of like the shoulder pads, because I know my Father can get that for me. But for most people, here's how we read this verse. Ask, and God may listen to you. Don't know, not sure, not sure about it. But I better pray for the right things if I'm going to have God. I better pray for godly things, spiritual things, or he probably won't answer. So I don't know exactly what to pray for, so maybe I better just be quiet. No, doesn't he just say ask? Yeah. Hmm. And then we read this, seek, seek and you'll, well, I haven't found him. I don't know if I know where he is, so I'm not sure he really means that. Um, I feel forgotten by him, and my prayers seem to kind of bounce off the ceiling, so I'm not sure if I seek, I'm really going to find. I'm not sure he's telling me the truth on that one. And then knock. Nope, I'm not going to knock because the door's it's dark, triple bolted, and God is a mean old hermit. So what happens is people don't pray. Because they have grown, first of all, what I'd say is indifferent. They're not sure they can take this by faith. So they grow indifferent. And then their indifference leads them to an action. They don't care as much. And inaction leads you to a habit of laziness. That's why people don't pray. Doubt leads to indifference, which leads to an action and an object at rest remains at rest. But let's say you do believe this verse. And you actually believe if I ask God, he will hear me and he will answer me. Huh. And let's say I have somebody in my family that I love and they're far away from God. Or let's say I'm bringing some kids that are neighbors to this VBS and I really want them to know God. Hey God, you say ask. Okay, here's what I want. Can you just lead them to you? Can you? you ask and you'll receive. We have a prayer meeting on Tuesday nights. We meet right out out there. A tiny sliver of people from our church shows up. And I'm not here to throw gasoline on your prayer guilt. Don't, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm just telling you the truth. 
I think the low numbers are the same reason not many people in our country pray is because of this whole idea of doubt, which leads to indifference, which leads to inaction. Even in this group, and these are the ones that come, most people don't get up and pray in front of others. I'm not criticizing, just observing. I think the reason is because people get embarrassed to pray for things in front of others, and they don't know what the right words are to pray. Because if I don't have the right words, maybe what I'm praying isn't worthy of anything, or it won't work. Now let's say, let's say, I'm just conjecturing here a second, let's say at that prayer meeting, a billionaire comes and he sets up a table, and he puts on the table his checkbook. And a billionaire says, okay, now everyone who comes up here and asks for some money to fix their problems, I'll write you a check. Ask for anything, and I'll give it right here, right now. So I start off, and I say, okay, I need a new card. You got $20,000, and he writes me a check. Here you go. Hey, I need some money for my kid to go to college. You got that? Writes me that check. And then I go to sit down. Question, how many people do you think in that group will get up and talk in front of others? Probably all of them. Why? Because they believe what they want will be answered. To, so, you know that $20,000 check about, about a year ago? We drove our daughter to a volleyball game out in Edmore, which is about an hour away from here. I'm in the McDonald's parking lot with my wife. And we're waiting for, I'm waiting for a uh, sausage McMuffin with egg. It's the best meal in the morning. I love it. And while we're waiting there, all of a sudden, all of this steam blows up out of our car. And my wife says, I think there's something wrong with our car. <laughs> I think you're right. I, th I think you're right. So I pull the car over. We take it to the gas station. And my wife is take, goes to the volleyball meet. But I'm at the gas station. I'm like, God. I got to tell you, we need a new car. <laughs> we need a new car. I'm not going to tell you the people's name, but about three months later, a couple comes up and said, you know, God put on our heart that you guys need a new car. Would you like our car? Huh. Maybe God is real. It's unbelievable. Some of you are saying this right now. Chris, you can't believe that. That sounds like you're promoting that name it, claim it garbage. You name it, God's going to get it, you claim it. Some of you will say, I've prayed a lot in the past. It feels like my prayers are never answered. It goes up the ceiling and bounces back. If you believe both of those things, let's keep reading a second. This is where it gets really interesting. Look at verse 9 through 11. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Verse 11, where is God? Where does it say God is? He's in heaven. Uh, you'll, for two reasons I think he uses the word heaven, because... In heaven, nothing evil is allowed to exist. You can't be impure if you're going to live in heaven. And he's comparing God to evil people. And he's saying he's in heaven, but he's also saying in heaven for this reason. He's always home. 
Dad is always home. He's in heaven. He never leaves. He's always sending his spirit to answer our prayers, which means you can always pray to him. Psalm 11:4. The Lord is in his holy temple. He is on his heavenly throne. I often use this verse for the political situation. You really think it's bad. You really think it's not going well. The Lord is on the throne. That's amazing. Psalm 73, 23, 20, 23 to 26 says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Dad is always home. And not only that, Jesus in verse 11 gives him the title of Father. Father. It's a family term of endearment. Instead of you forming your, your own idea of what the fatherhood of God means, instead allow your image to be shaped by 9 through 11. One of our problems is we allow this, this is a, this is a lie from the pit of hell. And don't allow it. Don't allow it. You know what? Your father is the way you understand God the Father. You don't have to. Some of you have had horrible fathers. And you let that example taint the word father forever. Stop that. Stop that. God the Father is incredible. He's incredible. So let's talk about him, but... I'm going to talk about the fatherhood of God. First of all, though, we need to begin at the right place. And here's where we need to begin. God is not everybody's father. In fact, belief is required for relationship. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Because truthfully, not everybody is known by God, nor do they want to be known by God, nor do they want to know God. John 1. Starting in verse 9. Talks about Jesus as the true light. He's, he's the truth. So verse 9 of John 1, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So Jesus is getting ready to present himself to the world. Verse 10. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people. And his own people did not receive him. So, so clearly, based on verse 10 and 11, it's saying not everybody really has a relationship with Jesus. And to have a relationship with the Father, you need to go through Jesus. So how do I have a relationship with God? Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, how do I receive him? Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. That's how I join his family. So according to John 1, 12 and 13, belief is what brings you into family, but yet many people presume upon God when God doesn't even know them. So here's a question. So does God hear prayers from people who are not his own? God does hear everything. He hears everything. Especially the prayers of those who want to know him, because Deuteronomy 4.29 says, if you're far away... Is it 429? Not sure where it is. 
But if you are far away worshiping other idols and you turn from those idols and call out to God, he will hear you. You can seek him and you will find him. But I'm not sure we can say he is moved to action by the generic prayers of the ungodly. Why would he be? What is their motives? Are they addressing him as their father or just the butler that they want him to do something for them? God doesn't have to respond to that. Jesus here in Matthew, and earlier in Matthew, always talks about prayer, always talks about prayer as a relationship between a child and their father. Every time. And if you don't have that relationship, Second thing Jesus is saying here in Matthew is that he wants you to trust that God's heart is good. That God is good. He says his heart is not evil like man's. What does that mean? Is man's heart evil? You know your heart's evil. You know often you are selfish, prideful, and you will twist things to get things in your favor. That's what evil is all about. So our motives are often tainted. God's heart is never tainted. Never. He's never tainted with impurity. He always does what is right, true, and just. God always does what is right, true, and just. And maybe, maybe, because he's always right, true, and just, that is why sometimes he says no to our prayers because sometimes our prayers are tainted. Here's what I mean by that. Because some people are like, well, you just said you can ask, seek, and knock. But I also said he's our father. So if you're a dad in here, dad, let me ask you a question. When your kids ask you for something, do you instantly give it to them? I see Lauren shaking his head no. I saw that, Lauren. You can't hide from me up here. No, why do we say no? Because sometimes my kids will ask me for a chocolate sundae instead of eating their vegetables. Sometimes they'll want something that's going to ruin them. So God is always right, he's always true, and he's always just, and he will give you exactly what you need, and he will give you what you want if it's right, true, and just. And then as a good father, he is for you. He's for you. God is not a mean old hermit peeking out with disdain towards you. He's a barbecue cooking dad who wants to please you. This, what's really interesting, if you go into the Old Testament, there's different kind of sacrifices. There's a burnt offering, that's for sin, where you burn a whole animal. And then there's a fellowship offering. A fellowship offering in the Old Testament is like a barbecue, where you take that meat and you share it over a fire with your family. That was one of the offerings to God. There was a massive barbecue pit, and it was meant to be a place of joy. Have you ever been to a barbecue pit where you smell it, and somebody ladles on that barbecue sauce, a little bit sweet, and it goes up into your nose, and you just want to eat? Aren't you glad it's right before lunch right now? And you could have a hamburger that's a little pink, you know, little pink. Amen, and you put, you put like cheese on it, you close the cover of the barbecue, and it melts softly, you know, where you lift it up, and you can see the wrinkles on the top of the hamburger that just barely melted. Oh, that's the kind of God he is. He is the God of the strawberry 
He's the God who made the pineapple. He's the God who made cold water to swim in on a hot day. He's the God of the barbecue. He's for you. He wants your success. I want you to notice something, though. Look in Matthew 7, verse 12. We're going to go more extensively next week in verse 12, but I just want you to notice something very, very interesting. Now, in our English Bible, verse 12 seems to be disconnected from verse 7 through 11. In my Bible, it has a new heading, the golden rule. But if you know when the Bible's written, it's written in the Greek and there's never headings. They're all connected. It's kind of like a chain. Actually, 12 is attached to verse 11. Look what verse 12 says. Let me read it slowly. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I remember hearing that somewhere else. Jesus says the same thing, but it's usually attached with something. You can find this in Matthew. Someone asked Jesus, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if you notice, verse 12 is just the second half of that. So where is the part of loving your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength? It seems to be missing. But is it? Maybe verses 7 through 11 is Jesus is showing us the practical way to love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And the way I do that is by asking, seeking, and knocking. If I love God, I will do that. So you could say it like this. If you have a true love for God, you will passionately want what God wants for you. You will pray, in other words. And it will be shown by your belief in his ability to answer prayers. When you pray believing, you're expressing to God that actually you actually believe in him and trust him. And that's all he ever wanted. Every dad knows this. Every mom knows this. How do you know if your kid loves you? They do what you say. How do you know if your kid loves you? Often they'll come up to you and they will believe in you. Dad, can you do this for me? Because I know you can do this for me. Prayer is a sign I trust the heart of God, and that is why it pleases him more than anything. That's all he ever wanted. My question would be, why are we so passive about God's existence and what he can do? Paul, if you look at Paul, Paul always knew God could do what he said, and he wanted what God said. Says in Philippians chapter 3, he grabbed hold of the reason Jesus grabbed hold of him. So in other words, he desperately wanted what God wanted for him. He was excited about it because he loved God, and he knew what God wanted for him is the best thing for him. So that's why he was excited about grabbing hold of the reason Jesus grabbed hold of him. I, I think, I, for me, I'll, I'll be honest with you, my problem is I'm so passive. I don't want anything. And because I don't want anything, I don't really pray. But 
if I really love God, I would want the things he wants, and I'd get excited about it. I think A.W. Tozier is right. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What do you think when you hear the name God? Is he a mean old hermit? Or does he always have the barbecue ready for you? All I know when sometimes on the Tuesday night prayer meetings we'll pray and all of a sudden I'll just smell prime rib cooking out of nowhere. Don't know why it happens. Mary, you smell it too, don't you? Every once in a while you smell prime rib. (laughs) And then when you pray, let me be the first one to say, welcome home. 